The Las Vegas Raiders have partnered with the global lifestyle app TrueConnect to give the gift of wellness. Transform your mind, body, and soul through thousands of hours of premium fitness content, guided meditations, progress tracking, and more. Visit tcfree.fit to redeem one free year of TrueConnect exclusively for Raider Nation. Welcome to Raiders Roundtable, presented by America First Credit Union. That's Q Myers. I'm JT. Lincoln Kennedy will join us coming up as we're here to talk about that Raiders epic win in Seattle in overtime. And Q, it had to happen, and it happened again in overtime. These last two overtimes have been legendary for the Raiders when it comes to regular season wins, and Josh Jacobs closed it out. Yeah, he really did. He started it, he uh, finished it, and he just did everything on Sunday. And, you know, to go to Seattle in a very tough environment, you know the 12s are there, you know they're very loud, and to be able to handle that environment and get through the adversity that they had early in the game and be able to close it out in overtime was very impressive and kind of shows you and makes it, to me, at least feel like the team is starting to turn the corner. We'll figure things out and understand what Coach McDaniels wants them to do. Well, we've talked about quiet in the noise here for a couple of weeks and to tell everyone that this locker room is together. This locker room has players that believe You know, the game starts off with an interception on the first play and ends up with one of the greatest runs in Raider history. So for all of that combined, this team was resilient. They're together. They're passionate. They play hard. They play together. I thought the coach called a really good game. Mm -hmm. I thought the defensive coordinator called a decent game. And guys stepped up in big spots. No, they really did. And, you know, some teams, if they saw two interceptions early in the game, would have hung their head and said, oh, it's going to be one of those days. You know, another day at the office. And instead, they just kept kept fighting, kept fighting. The defense created some turnovers as well, which doesn't happen all the time, but they were able to come up with a couple big ones, including Denzel Perryman with his interception, and then Chandler Jones uh, recovering a fumble. It just, I mean, giving the ball back and getting opportunities for the offense to go make plays, and, and Derek and, and company going ahead and, and staying strong and staying the course and, and listening to what Coach McDaniels had to say, and then getting it done, winning in the end, was pretty impressive. Yeah, I spent a lot of time, and I know you did on our flagship Raider Nation radio, I spent a lot of time talking about Geno Smith and my conclusion was you got to beat Geno Smith he's a career backup he's playing well but it's a very small sample size of his greatness Mm -hmm. in the league you got to beat this guy and Derek Carr did Derek Carr outplayed him in the second half of the game I just thought rattling Geno was going to be really important and Max Crosby was able to do that Billings up the middle how about that interior defensive line getting some pressure there so Geno was having to rotate back to Max or Chandler Jones who secured the edge that was huge getting that interior push, and that's something that you have not seen the Raiders' defense do very much this season, but Andrew Billings, early in the game, even before he got to Geno, was able to get to Kenneth Walker and drop him for about a five-yard loss, and that was big. He really, to me, set the tone from the interior part of the defensive line. Bilal Nichols came up and also had a half a sack, and and then you saw Chandler Jones. Even though he didn't register a sack, he was around Geno all game long. He was harassing him. That whole defensive line, I thought, did a really good job making life difficult on on Geno Smith, and then when you had to have it, what do you have to have. You have to have your big-time player make a play when you need it the most. Max Crosby did that. Yeah, and I want to stay also with another big-time player in Denzel Perryman. I know you spoke to him in the yeah. locker room leading up. Share that story about his passion for the game. Yeah, definitely. On Thanksgiving we had a little bit of locker room uh, time after their practice, and of course all the players want to get home to their families on Thanksgiving, and Denzel Perryman shared that it, it was a, a little bit different for him because he did lose his grandfather on Thanksgiving, and I remember telling him, like, hey, it's okay to get emotional. He said it was great that his, his teammates were there to have his back 
And I said, hey, man, go out to Seattle and ball out for him. And he said, will do. And he did, right? Nine tackles, an interception, big-time plays, tackles for losses. I mean, Denzel Perryman was a man that you feel like was out there playing for someone else, which was his grandfather. So Josh Jacobs had one of the greatest games in NFL history, period. And I think that's really important. If you look at the annals of Raider history, and when we come in this building, you see all the pictures on the wall of the Hall of Famers and the greatness of the Raiders and their alumni. This was a performance for the decades. Al Davis said team of the decades, Mark Davis's team now. They played with a running back in this game who was inspired. Because during the week, we didn't know what was happening here. The tweak the calf. He didn't know if he'd go an hour before the game. And then he has the greatest game of his career. And one of the top games in Raider history. I know the difference between regular season yeah. playoffs and the Super Bowl. But it's going to be hard, Q, to top this game all time. No doubt. And then knowing that it was just a couple of days away from the anniversary of Bo Jackson and yeah. his epic Monday night football performance that he had there in Seattle. And the only thing that that game on Sunday could have had is when Josh Jacobs ran it off if he had ran into the tunnel. Yeah, <laughs> if he had ran right. into the tunnel, that would have been the icing on the cake, but it was a fantastic performance by Josh, who didn't want to come out of the game, wanted to make sure he put it all out there on the field, 33 carries and seven catches to go along with that. Just a heck of a performance, a guy that wanted to get it done, he did. The first time the Raiders won since 1998, yep. and that's a big deal, too. They needed to get that gorilla off their back mm-hmm. and win up there. They're not going to play them every year, but when you go up there, right. Seattle has owned the Raiders, and now the Raiders have a win there, especially for Derek Carr. He touched on it after the game. I just thought the team blocked well. They did everything they're supposed to. And how about this offensive line yeah. the last couple of games? In their pass protection, I thought this was the cleanest game for Derek at times with pressure on cue to step up in the pocket and have some time. No doubt. I mean, you you know, first of all, with Josh Jacobs, what he does, he doesn't get that done if the offensive line isn't isn't blocking well. And then Derek did have a lot of time to get the ball to, you know, a Mac Hollins, a Devontae Adams, you know, a Keelan Cole, whoever the case may be. And he was able to spread the ball around. But uh, he did have some good some good opportunities, some good time in the pocket. And was it 100% perfect? No. Are they still working on where they need to be? Yes. But you see that they're getting better and getting better and getting better. What does it mean for the long term of this season? I don't know. But they're taking it game by game, and that's all you could do. Jakob at fullback. I yes. Mean, what is going on there what is going on there <laughs> the we, have a, we have a great fullback in this building a senior vice president of yep. Marcel Reese who's gone to Pro Bowls there's not many fullbacks in this league that can block like that he was <laughs> blowing people up like an extra maybe it's just the number maybe everyone's yeah. just got to wear the 45 yeah. <laughs> right Reese Ingold now Jakob yeah he, he really played well <laughs> and overall I just thought it was another important game for Josh McDaniels because yeah. For the fans and everyone around the league uh, trying to figure out what's going on with the coach, the plan, we spent a lot of time. I spoke to him last week about the plan, reiterating it, the plan that he has with Dave Ziegler to have the players that are going to be here next year ball out Mm -hmm. throughout the end of the year and wait for the guys who are not available. I think that's critical to everybody. Listen, they won this game up in Seattle in overtime without Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. And put 40 up. Yeah, and look at what the <laughs> what the team could have looked like in the right. fourth quarter if they had those two players running crossing routes. So for Devontae, he's handling the load. Mm-hmm. I just think everyone in general is stepping up and doing their job like we knew they would when they were losing earlier in the season, yeah. and it shows that the locker room is together and everybody has a goal to keep winning here. You know, it's funny. I'll never say that it's, it's okay to not have guys out there, but it almost feels like it could be a blessing in disguise the way that they're putting this offense together. They now have figured out how Derek Carr and Devontae Adams work on the same sure, page. Good point. And now when Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro come back, now they can put those guys and integrate them into the offense instead of trying to throw all three together at the same time. 
you just look and you say, what What if? Yeah. This is what it's supposed yeah. to look like without two of the best players on offense, and we'll wait for them to come back because there's some really important games. If we took take a look at the highlights of this game, Chandler Jones just falls on a fumble. I thought it was important. Still waiting for him in the stats right. in that category close. there. But in general, yeah. I thought he played with a lot of aggression in this game. He did. He played very strong. He was very aggressive. Uh, like I said, he was around Geno Smith all game long. And it's funny watching the game. You're almost rooting for him to get that one sack. Right. Yeah. Every time he gets close, you're like, here it comes. Here it comes. Ooh, just got away. But, you know, it's an incompletion or it's a short gain or something happens. He's impacting games. It's not showing up in the stat sheet yet, but keep on grinding, keep on chopping that wood, and it should. Yeah, and what, he, what else is he's got great body language. Yeah, he does. He's a guy that is on the, on the sideline up, mm-hmm. encouraging his teammates. He's a pro's pro, but let's spend some time on Derek Carr after the two interceptions to have three to put up the stats that he did with a lot of pressure on him, again, at the end of regulation. Yeah handling the clock, and in overtime, you know, we didn't expect overtime to end that way. I thought Derek right. would have to go the length of the field, a couple of big, big passes here, and Josh Jacobs ended it. But Derek had an exceptional game, especially in the second half. No, he really did. You know, again, having the time to be able to survey the field and deliver the ball, and he did a really good job, and that game tie and touchdown pass to Foster Morrow in the end zone was incredible. You know, he made it look easy, but make my mistake without it. That was not an easy pass, right? And then Foster just happens to be in the right spot. And not only that, having the trust in Foster to make the catch, who had had two big drops earlier in the game. Well, Foster has the drops every once in a while in a game. We're starting to say, if he drops one, I think the key is, Q, go back back to him. him. Get back to him. That that pass that you talked about, that floater in the end, that was a very difficult pass. Absolutely. That was was all touch. And then Foster made the catch. And what about Devontae? I thought Devontae played really well. You could tell that Seattle made him the priority in that game. And in the second half, it seemed like he started to explode. Yeah, he started just running his routes like he does, man. Real crisp, real clean, and, and and just always finds a way to get open, no matter who's on him or if there's multiple guys on him or if a guy's holding his arm behind his back. Yeah. He'll catch him with one hand and, and no flag called. But a uh, big, big catch for Devontae Adams just shows you why he's the, one of the best wide receivers in the league. Hey, I got to say, the refs, the Raiders caught a couple of breaks. They did. Right? They did. They, <laughs> they got did. They caught the a Josh Jacobs fumble, however you want to look at that. Mm-hmm. And then especially when DK Metcalf was rolling out of bounds, a lot of Seattle fans said, you got to be kidding me. Right. Well, look, we saw the calls that went against the Raiders. You mentioned Devontae being held in some other – player on Seattle came out on the field. Right. Came out on the field right. on the interception. That doesn't happen in this did you, league. Did you I, hear Josh McDaniel's answer to that yesterday at his press conference? He said, we're the Raiders. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was awesome. It was. I, that was awesome because he's embracing being a Raider. That was interesting because the ref coming into the game, it wasn't a Raider-friendly ref from back in the day yeah. in regards to win-loss record. Right. The refs do a good job in this league, but I think the Raiders have been fighting through a lot of adversity mm-hmm. with the record to see what's in front of them. We'll get into it later on in this podcast about what's up next because I, I go back to what Fred Bolitnikoff told me a couple weeks ago. He said, get to the Charger game. Yeah. He said, get to the Charger game. And what's going to happen, which is great, is we're looking at this unbelievable run again. I mean, just look at that a thing of beauty yeah. for this team, 283 team rushing yards, but get to the Charger game with some momentum and then anything can happen. Right, absolutely. And I mean, the, the Chargers, the last time they played it was week one and they had every opportunity to win that game. I definitely believe the Raiders have every opportunity to win this game, right? They, they, they're a team that can punch with anybody. They just got to go out there and execute, cut down on their penalties and they did a better job of that in this game. They cut down the penalties. They didn't have almost 100 yards. I think they only had 50, so that's, a, that's an improvement. They've got to continue to do that and keep keep playing clean ball. Let's take a look at the stats of the game. How about holding Seattle to 65 rushing yards, passing 
pretty much equal. The turnovers at two. The penalties down a bit, still yep. seven. Yep. Too much for only 50 yards here. But look, what they did in the red zone, too. Two out of four. This was a game that was going to go back and forth. It turned out to be one of those games, whoever has the ball last mm-hmm. is going to win the game there. But the Raiders put the Seahawks behind them. They show up in the stat sheet. But again, on this edition of Raiders Roundtable, what Josh Jacobs did, yeah. this podcast will live forever. Right. This podcast will be here 30 years from now when people look back and say, I want to hear about that game. I want to see mm-hmm. what happened in that game. I want to talk about what happened in that game and Josh Jacobs' great career. Right, and I'll tell you this. We're talking about Josh Jacobs and the great performance he had on the ground. How about uh, what he was doing through the air? Yeah. Catching the ball. I don't want to hear that Josh Jacobs can't catch the rock. I know he was doing that at Alabama. He's mentioned that to us in the locker room multiple times. Hey, I was catching passes back in college, but going up, climbing the ladder, catching the ball with one hand right there on the Seattle sideline, and then kind of gave the business to the coaches as well. Like, yeah, yeah, you saw that. It's, <laughs> it's, that hard. Cool. it's hard to end the game after that much duress and that many hits as yeah. a running back and win it that way. Right. Having a burst like that, because a guy who has a little bit of a tweak calf, mm-hmm. we're wondering if he's going to play. How does he have that third, fourth gear on that play to hit the hole? He hit the hole because of a couple of great blocks, yep. but no one was going to come from behind and get him and I thought that was critical because Josh is a hell of a player and this this last couple of weeks over a month and a half to see what he's doing in the history of this building this new building mm-hmm. the history of the Raiders in Los Angeles and Oakland proud to talk about Josh Jacobs and the performance he had when we come back Lincoln Kennedy is going to join us we're excited to talk to him his view from the booth on that game-winning touchdown by Josh Jacobs you're listening to Raiders Roundtable When you're a part of a team, there are expectations. And one of the things I expect from my team is trust. I work hard to win, and I trust my team to work hard too. That's why I feel good about America First Credit Union. They're my financial team, and I trust that they'll always be there for me and my community. I'm Hunter Renfro. Join me and the America First team today. 60 years in the making, the Raiders now have a permanent place to call home, and the doors are open to get a world-class behind-the-scenes tour of their new home. An attraction unlike any other in Las Vegas, Allegiant Stadium. The Las Vegas Raiders invite you to experience the expertly guided tour that includes exclusive access to areas restricted to only football players, coaches, and staff. For more information, visit AllegiantStadium.com forward slash tours. Where's JJ at? This morning, this morning, I didn't even know if he was gonna play. He went over 300 yards. Big division game. Next Sunday at home. Yes, sir. Right, and we have the whole turf on that that stuff. That's really important, all right? Big division game. But, but, but we got a victory. Game. 
Fantastic. Welcome back to Raiders Roundtable. Q Myers, JT. And we bring in Lincoln Kennedy. And Lincoln, you had the trifecta. A great holiday. Your Huskies won. The Raiders won. You're up in Seattle where you're famous all around the country, but that's your town. How great was that? Oh, it really was a good weekend. I mean, a good holiday weekend, guys. I, You know, the Ducks lost to Oregon State. Washington beats Washington State. So the Huskies control the Pacific Northwest, which is how it should be, uh, in my opinion. And and that's one to what it once was. But more importantly, you know, the the way it's looking, and it's kind of pointing for the dogs, is that if USC take care of business, takes care of business like in Utah and the Pac-12 championship, most likely the dogs are going to go to Pasadena for the Rose Bowl, which would be just like old times. But, you know, great win for the Raiders. Um, showed a great ton of resiliency. And how impressed was Josh Jacobs? The will to win is what I said over the weekend. I mean, the fact is, you know, when I watched him play, even early in the season, I know he wanted to run hard and do everything he could. And it just, there were times where it just didn't it fall in place for him. But being added to the injury list on Friday, with a you know possible calf injury, didn't know if he's going to play on Sunday. What he showed us on Sunday against the Seahawks, both out of the backfield catching the football and running the football, was just n- nothing less than magnificent and a beautiful thing to watch. Lincoln, when you have a guy like that do exactly what he did on Sunday and go for three hundred plus yards and you know get the walk off, well the runoff touchdown that he had to end the game. What does that say to the rest of the players in the locker room? As Josh Jacobs is clearly a big time leader of the team. Well, Q, if you look back on the season, most of the Raiders' losses have been by one possession. Mm-hmm. So you you know you're close. And, and for the last couple of weeks, you know, last two games, we've seen a ton of resiliency on both sides of the ball. You know what impressed me the most about the defense, what they did on Sunday? Look, there were times where they, they gave up field goals, yes. They gave up yards, yes. But if some of those field goals were touchdowns, yeah. and conversely, some of the Raiders' touchdowns were field goals, we wouldn't be talking about a win right here. The defense came through, and I think they helped out, especially in spite of the two interceptions and the position they put them in. So all the the, the, the sort of turmoil that's happened over the past couple of weeks, what we can take for granted is that this team will continue to fight. They might not always get it done, mm-hmm. but they will fight. Lincoln, let's stay on the defense. I heard you on the broadcast point out that interior pass rush and Billings and the way Nichols played, Mm -hmm. that really helped. That was very important because it took the running game away and made Geno pass predictable. And as I said, Geno's been a backup. He's playing great this year. But you can't let Geno have a monster game. And I think part of that was stopping the run. What would you see from the interior of the D-line? You're absolutely right, JT. And I don't think the interior D-line gets enough credit. You know, we're always talking about Chandler Jones and, of course, you know, Max Crosby. And definitely worth the, the praise. But defensive line was, and there's been, you know, a few, you know, moving around. They traded Hanskin, Hankins, uh, Jonathan Hankins, and they got Tillery, you know, they signed recently. Mm-hmm. So they've been trying to fill that little positions out. But I thought Kendall Victors and, and, and Bilal Nichols and those guys did a good job this time pushing the interior part of the pocket. And that's – except – that is one of those things that you have to do if you want to keep a quarterback. You want to go all those lanes and keep a quarterback in the pocket rather than have them run out and beat you with their legs. Lincoln, you mentioned that the defense was put in bad positions every once in a while, and they still were able to come up big. And in overtime, Daniel Carlson misses a field goal. And Seattle's a couple first downs away from winning the game, and the defense steps up and does not allow them to get anything. How impressive was that stand by the defense? Well, I think it, it kind of summarized the whole day because when just when you thought the Raiders were going to be out of it, they found a way to put themselves back into it. And and look, when they when they were down, they needed a touchdown score to go into overtime. I was a little reluctant to see if it was going to happen, if they were going to make the choices. And there were a few things that bounced against them rather than for them. But like I said, there are times in the past two weeks 
for the most games against Denver and against Seattle, where the defense complemented the offense, the offense complemented the special teams, so on and so forth, a big circle. And that was lead to teams, team wins. And Q, that's important, especially as you get into the latter part of the season. Lincoln, give us an example in your career of a running back that you blocked for that had this game where you went back to the locker room and then went home after the game and said, I can't believe I was a part of that. I helped uh, blow some of those holes open. Then maybe you go out to an offensive line dinner with that running back and you live that again. You, You celebrate that and it brings the team together. Give us an example in your career. You remember that 1997 game when Napoleon Kaufman? Yes. <laughs> against run. Denver? Yep. Yeah. 227 yards. We ran the same power play about seven times. And every time we ran it, it broke for big yards. Napoleon was scampering. He was untouched coming through the line. And look, those, those are attitudes. Those are attitude blocking, uh, JT and Q, because it's man on man. And it, whether I'm double teaming with the tight end to the middle linebacker or I'm double teaming with the guard to the backside linebacker, when we're running power right – you pull in the backside guard, your fullback has a lead play, lead block. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. And that's what you saw, very similar to the play you saw that Jacobs broke on in the game. It was an, it's what we call an ISO lead. And it's double teams at the point, point of attack. The fullback, Jakob Johnson, has the middle linebacker. Foster Moreau did a good job of blocking the outside end. And the thing about this style of defense, because the Raiders run a very similar style of defense, if you get past the line of scrimmage, the safety is put in an awful position. Mm-hmm. And that safety took a horrible, horrible angle towards Josh Jacobs. And that's one of the reasons why when Josh ran by them, he was, there was no one left. That's the thing you play with that style of defense, and you could get hurt by those very long runs like that. Lincoln, we've been talking about the offensive line all season long and their highs and their lows. And I'll tell you this, they didn't change any players on Sunday. 100% all the guys that started the game ended the game on that offensive line. And Josh doesn't go for the yards he goes without that offensive line doing their job. What would you think of their performance? Well, look, this has been a learning process because, you know, Colton Miller didn't play in Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Luminor went out and played left tackle and Mumford played right tackle. But now because of the situation and the depth, Mumford is basically a tight end, a glorified tight end. He is an extra offensive lineman, uh, an offensive tackle, but he's a glorified tight end. And if you could keep this line combination the same, they're going to take their lumps. Right. There's no doubt about it. You know, these you know, those guys get paid too. You're going to take your lumps. You're going to have some bad plays. But the 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 build, the, the what we're in the process of building can be something special if it holds together. And that means everybody still has to do their part. So whether it's interchangeable parts at tackle or you're playing around with the guards, this is still a work in progress. The only bad part about way, the way the season goes, guys, and the way things are today is that you have to do full speed at a game to see what they're capable of because you can't duplicate it in practice. Lincoln, when we get back to the fullback position, a lot of times when you see a fullback, you know they're going to run it up the middle. So what is the philosophy of that? It's got to be, hey, you know what we're doing. We know what you're going to do, and it's got to be just man-on-man as you're talking about because – Bringing in a fullback means you have one less player on the outside. They're already missing Waller and Renfro. Mm-hmm. And Pete Carroll's a pretty good coach, so he sees Jakob come in there at fullback. Josh is having a game. What adjustments did Seattle not make, or did they make them, and then just the Raiders were too good running them over? Well, I, I think part of it, the latter part, is, is the Raiders got better as the game went on, especially playing against that style of defense. But I will say this. Jakob Johnson's got to do a better job of catching the football guys because the Raiders have put plays in when he's in there, trying to be play action or even just a straight drop back pass 
where he's open because no one takes him in consideration as a receiver and he hasn't come up with a catch. I think he dropped the ball last past week in, in Seattle. So he's got to get better with his hands, just as Josh Jacobs had to do a couple years ago. You remember when John Gruden used to take out Josh Jacobs because he was more of a liability? Teams started to pick up on that because they didn't think he was going to be a pass catcher. When Jacobs started to learn how to become a better receiver out of the backfield, he became that every down threat weapon that he is now. And that's what some other guys got to go to. So to answer your question, JT, it's you got to be creative. Of course, you want to show one thing and do another. But you got to understand this team, like every team, has tendencies and you have to make the adjustments. And for the last two weeks, to a degree, more so in Denver, I saw it was noticeable than it was in Seattle. It was more just better execution. To a degree, you have to make adjustments to what teams are going to do to you. And I think over the last couple of weeks, the Raiders have done a good job doing that. It's one of the reasons why they've got two wins. You know, uh, Derek Carr was able to spread the ball around to a lot of different wide receivers. Of course, Devontae Adams had the great catch with one hand with a guy draped all over him. But I wanted to ask you what you thought about the wheel route that Amir Abdullah ran and got a touchdown that Carr hit him with. Those are the beautiful things that people don't take in consideration. When you look at the stars that are on this Raiders team, for you to be able to go Abdullah coming out of the backfield, no one's uh, they're underestimating. That's what that's why they put a linebacker on them. You see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it becomes advantage running back. A lot of quarterbacks look for it, but a lot of quarterbacks look for it with their star running back, not necessarily their second or third string running back. And that's what happened in that situation. And it was good for the offensive line, not only to provide enough uh, uh, protection for Derek to go through his to scout that, but those wheel routes don't necessarily come automatically. Derek sees he's got a linebacker up against his running uh, running back. I know he'll take a good long look. He looked off the safety. He went back to Abdullah in the end zone. Everything looked perfect except for the roundhouse kick for the penalty. <laughs> what about Devontae here? I'm looking at 11 targets, seven receptions, 74 yards. You good with that? Uh, 11 targets, I think, in general, without Waller and Renfro, who I'm coming back to. That's what I think has got to be the minimum mm-hmm. for him when you see this. And I'm good with that number there, Lincoln. What do you think? Because Seattle has some good young players there, especially through the draft. And they were concentrating on Devontae. And then Devontae had a pick it up in the second half with the game on the line. Look, I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I think what, you know, what I have a problem with, or not really a problem, an, an issue with right now is the fact that there's got to be better communication to me, guys, between Derek Carr and Devontae Adams. Because that first interception, Devontae didn't even get his head around. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know if he was a primary receiver. And so, and there's there's instances like that where either Devontae's got to run the route fully and look, to be, expect to be the, that, that guy, or Derek's going to have to communicate to him early because you can't have... Those types of interceptions can be somewhat critical. You know, turnover battle, you lose a turnover battle, nine times out of ten, you don't really win the game. So, you know, it, it's one of those instances where you don't want to have that miscommunication, especially to start the game. You know, look, I think the Raiders responded because after Seattle scored, they went down and scored and kind of showed that they're still in it. But it's those small miscommunications that we still see between Derek and Devontae that I think need to be worked on. But that's also with a number of his receivers as well. Lincoln, I pointed out earlier in the show that uh, I had talked to Devon, uh, Denzel Perriman, excuse me, on uh, Thanksgiving in the Raiders locker room, and he had told me that he had lost his grandfather on Thanksgiving, so it meant a little bit more to him. So I had said, hey, go out to Seattle and ball out for him on Sunday. He put in a hell of a performance, including coming up with an interception. I think he had nine tackles on the day. I thought Denzel Perriman played with a – he was like a man uh, on, a, on a mission on Sunday. 
you know, you know, Denzel's been one of the uh, has been one of the bright spots mm-hmm. for this defense when he's healthy and when he's in there. Now, there's the this is a very young group collectively at linebacker, and they're going to have to probably make some changes or find somebody to do something different in the offseason because they can still get exposed when he's not there. But you know, I, I've appreciated his play since he became a Raider, and and I especially appreciate the way he shoots holes and gets downhill to the to the running backs, not necessarily playing you know light or lackadaisical. He's going right after the running backs and the running carriers right now um you know and his his only weakness in my opinion is is coverage right he's not a, he's not a good covering linebacker but everyone's got strength and weaknesses that's just the way it goes well that's a great segue Lincoln to Herbert coming up and Justin Herbert and what he can do and what we're expected to see here because we don't know who's going to be able to be at 100%. It's always the case like that with the Chargers, with Williams and Keenan Allen. One normally doesn't play, one's banged up, and that always happens in this series. And Herbert's had some classic games, even the loss, uh, the greatest game ever played, regular season history, the Mount Rushmore game last year with the Raiders won. I still see a soft area in the middle of the field, and Herbert's the type of guy that will pick that apart if it doesn't get cleaned up. We keep using that term every week here. What do you expect to see now? Because we're looking at all these great plays defensively and what the Raiders did up in Seattle, but the Chargers are coming in, and they do a hell of a job over the middle of the field. Much of what we saw last week in Seattle, I expected Patrick Graham to play a two-safety system because we were worried about the speed of Metcalf and, and, and Lockett uh, collectively. Now, there's been a number of players for the Chargers this season that have sort of come out of the shadow and kind of made a name for themselves, especially at receiver, because you didn't always have a healthy dose of Keenan Allen, didn't always have a healthy dose of Mike Williams, but they still had playmakers and they still had a quarterback who knew how to get the ball to and make guys look better. So I, I think we're still going to see a two two safety system. However, what I what I what I'm going to be curious to see is who's going to cover their tight ends. Uh, because the thing is, is that they put Merrick in that position before, and he struggled with it a couple of times, and rightfully so. So whether you have Nate Hobbs back or he's starting now, uh, back on active roster uh, and or is activated this week will be a question. And if they play more. I wouldn't necessarily say more man, but combination zone mans or where you're rolling over to the sky might help a little bit. But the first things first, you got to you got to find somebody for Eckler and you got to take Eckler away because he's not only a good back with the screen game, running the ball between the tackles, but also coming out the backfield. And that really hurt the Raiders against uh, Ingram uh, and not Ingram, uh, Alvin Kamara and uh, uh, New Orleans. Lincoln, I know the defense didn't do everything perfect in Seattle. Obviously, they went to overtime, still gave up 34 points, but they looked to me a lot more comfortable in understanding what they were supposed to do. You mentioned Trayvon Merrick. He looked a lot more comfortable and had a couple big pass breakups. Uh, You think he's starting to figure out what Patrick Graham wants him to do? Yeah, but I just wanted him to catch the ball in those interceptions. <laughs> right. How does he miss the ball? I mean, both hands, it, it's happened to him a couple times since yeah. he's been a Raider. But anyways, you know, look, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking it's coming together. This, I, I said this before on this very platform, guys, that, you know, Patrick Graham really doesn't have the players to run his style of defense on this roster. Um, unanimously. You've got spots here and there, but there's some big holes. And that's why you see some of those big voids. And I would just hope that, you know, we could get to a point even sometime this season to where the defense understands the situation. It's third down and six. You've got a team in third down long or longer, and that's what you want, but you're not playing eight, nine yards cushion off them. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm playing? You know what I'm saying? You pressing up a little bit more and you're trying to take it. Cause if you look, here's what we do know. Okay, this is unanimous. And every game that we played so far, and even going back to last season, because of guys like Max Crosby, because of guys like Chandler Jones when he's on, quarterbacks aren't going to hold on to the ball that long. 
So if you're trying to blitz to get the quarterback to get rid of the ball quicker, you can't give a huge cushion right? because it's, it, it, it makes no sense. you got to press. you got to take a chance that you're going to have to uh, be able to take uh, take care of business. And, and more importantly, when you're trying to show it, and if, if you don't, you don't back up more and give more of a cushion to make a, a down out, a down and out, very simple pass catch to receive. You can't do that. So you got to be mindful of the, the, uh, the, uh, the cushion. And more importantly, the understanding, as you guys have talked about, understanding the total defense as it is. Well, this is interesting. Interesting because the coach, we know that the coach, Brandon Staley, is going to go for it on fourth down, period. Certainly. We know that. He just won a game. The Chargers, the way they're winning games, are blowing me away. I mean, <laughs> right. I go back to how they've won games. Some of their victories of their six have come down to just bizarre plays in Atlanta, this two-point conversion that they won on. So let's assume, Lincoln, and we know coming in that they're going to go for it several times on fourth and short. That's given Justin Herbert four plays to pick up a first down. How does that change this coaching staff, knowing that that's the coach's philosophy on the other sideline? Well, you can only hope that they make a, a stupid guess and guess wrong. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's really look. I have seen some horrible, and I mean horrible, clock management on both levels this season. Even as recently as last night right. with the Indianapolis Colts, mm-hmm. the way they managed that final two minutes with three timeouts. I'm like. <laughs> it, it blows my mind some of the philosophies why people try to outthink things you know the Chargers should have lost to Cleveland mm-hmm. because when Stanley went for it on fourth down he got, gave the ball back to Cleveland if it wasn't for the fact that they had a, a befuddled kicker they should have they, they, they would have lost that game so there are many instances and this was something that plagued the Chargers last year I'm not an analytics person I go off of eyes I go off the of field more importantly I just go off of the, 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 the way the game is rolling you make bonehead decisions that come back and cost you I see a lot of times it's why you're in a position you're not going very far very soon. Lincoln, uh, game one, week one, when the Raiders were in L.A. taking on the Chargers, Khalil Mack, former Raider, had himself a day, right? What do the Raiders have to do offensive line-wise? Uh, do they need to put some help on Khalil Mack so he doesn't wreck the game like he did week one? Well, that, that was because he was complimented with Bosa on the other side, and everyone knows what Bosa's capable of doing. Now, this these days, I've seen Khalil, with not having Bosa out there in the field, not have as much bite. Um, I think the Raiders have done so pretty good job, as fair a decent job as an incomplete or in, 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 a, a working progress offensive line when you have two rookies at times that are, that are starting to be hold, holding the pocket together. The big thing is, is that you also have to take, a, in my opinion, you have to take a page out of other people's books. Don't try to hold on the ball. Right. Don't try to let routes develop down the field. Get get the ball out of your hands. You know, they, they, make them pay. And more importantly, what I've always said about any perennial rusher, Trap them, hit them, run right at them. I mean, it doesn't matter. Double team them, run at them. And when they switch sides, you have the ability with a check with me system. We're going to go over there now. Let's run over there. You see, so that's how you take a little bit of bite out of these pass rushers. Look, Khalil Mack's a good player, and you definitely need to know where he's he's out on the field. But the Chargers overall did some things last game that I don't know if the Raiders can really take advantage of because they don't have Darren Waller. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes because – Foster Moreau is going to have to have a bigger game mm-hmm. than he's had in order to have an impact. Or if the, you know you can't get Hunter Renfro back, so you, it's one of those things where you're going to have to have some somebody else is going to have to shine in order to beat the Chargers. The Chargers give up 151.4 yards a game rushing. Mm-hmm. We have Josh Jacobs who is on a roll like we haven't seen. Right. 
So they got to get to that average, Lincoln, of 150 yards just before the game starts. That's what the Chargers give up to everybody combined. Now you got a guy coming in here who had 300-plus total yards. You would assume that the Raiders are going to try to run it down their throat and then set up some play action there with Derwin James because I think the X factor in this game is Derwin James. He's another guy who's missed several games in this rivalry because he's not available. So when he does play, he tends to get into the box and blow up the play, and then maybe you can get behind him at times if you have Waller and Renfro, which is probably not the case here. So I want your opinion on how to get Derwin James kind of tricked around here a little bit because I think he's going to try to come up there and have a big star performance against Josh Jacobs one-on-one. Well, I guarantee you he's going to because he's, he's, he's faced the challenge in the past when, when uh, you know, Waller was out there, how he wanted to cover Waller yeah. man on man. So he, he wants that challenge. He, he wants that in his face. So there's no doubt in my mind he's going to try to blow up. But that's also why I said a moment ago, JT, that Foster Rose is going to have, to have a bigger game. Because there are opportunities for the tight end or a slot receiver in the middle of the field. We don't, and, and it's not going to be Devontae Adams. Even if they put him at slot, trust me when I tell you, just like they did the first game, they're going to bracket him. They're going to, they're going to run high-low on him. There's going to be a safety over the top, and there's going to be a trailing guy, much like it was against New Orleans and other places. You're, you're going to see him. They're going to make someone else besides number 17, beat them. And the same thing goes for number 28 coming out of the backfield. So there's going to be another time for either Hollins, Cole, and, you know, what, what's? let me just back up and say I'm impressed what the Raiders have been able to do offensively with only four activated receivers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Good point. Yeah. Really good it's point. True. And, and really two, only only really one activated tight end because, you know, Holstead plays, it was playing uh, special teams. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when you look at what they're what you're doing, I know that Thayer Munford, when he's in the game, unless they put a new wrinkle at tight end, is not going to catch a pass. Right. It's not going to go out for a pass, not for a long pass. You know what I mean? That, those types of things. So a little less likely to go with play action. I know from watching Jakob Johnson on, on the games, I haven't seen him in practice, miss a couple of balls. Derek's probably not going to target him. Tried him a couple of times. Hasn't caught it yet. So if you're a quarterback, why would you go back to that? I'm just saying from, from a field standpoint, this is things that I look at from my vantage point seeing all 22. So there you go. You have two positions that are taken out. Hunter Renfro's not in the game. Who's your slot? You don't really have one. Three positions taken out. There's only three eligible receivers left. Right. You know what I mean? There's only three yeah. things that you can do. You can do X, you could do Z, and you could do a running back. Derwin James takes out the running back. He leaves the other spots open. There are going to be opportunities for unsung heroes to get some big plays and a timing factor, and it's going to be up to Derek finding them, and even more so, you know, coach getting get the plays to get them in, to get them activated, to get them uh, seen. Well, Lincoln, I'll leave you on this note. I think we're taking it one game at a time. We're not looking five games down there. This is a monster game. It's a payback game for the Chargers, not the Raiders. Raiders lost, but the Chargers got eliminated in this building last year. So that's going to motivate them when they came in. They had their owner on the sidelines last year looking around. It was a house of horrors for the Chargers in that elimination game. And if the Raiders win this game, it gets interesting. And the Chargers, if they miss the playoffs, they'll probably miss it by a game. So right. I'm looking at the Chargers here coming in, do or die. I think this is going to be a war. Yeah. I think this is going to be a desperate game for two franchises. It feels like an elimination game. How does it feel to you? You hit the nail on the head. It's a de- desperation to game for both franchises. Yeah. Because, look, from what we've seen out of the Raiders so far, guys, we've seen potentially that they can play with anyone. 
They can hang with anyone mm-hmm. and they're close and they, they have these, these, these ways of sort of, you know, leaving you in awe or even when you think they're down and out, they find a way to get back into it or the ball bounces their way. Why? Yeah, which is really some hard for me, JT, to say, because we're the Raiders. Balls don't really bounce our way. Hmm. They've had this season in yeah. many instances. Now, you don't have as many wins to translate it. So overall, it's not as successful a season you want. But you look at the last two weeks, you look at the fact that, that the Raiders have owned a divisional rival for the last three years. I don't know last time that happened, you know, going up against Denver. So you could take that for granted. Rivalries are only rivalries when you can win some games. I don't think we have a rivalry against Kansas City, though I can't stand them. But it's not a rivalry if you can't beat them often, okay? Chargers, back and forth. It's a 50-50. If we're able to split with the Chargers, I think because I came into season saying that. I want to split with the Chargers, and we'll see how everything else goes. If we can, if we're able to split with the Chargers, I think we could chalk it up, partially start writing that one in the win column as this is a winning season. Thank you, Lincoln. We'll see you at Allegiant Stadium on Sunday. Always appreciate your time. Always a pleasure, guys. See you soon. There's the great Lincoln Kennedy. When we come back, we'll take a look at the AFC West, what the Raiders have in front of them. This is Raiders Roundtable presented by America First Credit Union. We're back on Raiders Roundtable, presented by America First Credit Union. Q, here we go with the Chargers. They just won at Arizona, and I'm looking forward to hard knocks because I've been watching that right, to right. see what's going on with Arizona. But with the Chargers, again, they continue to win games that mm-hmm. they shouldn't win, and they got six wins, and they're probably going to need ten right. to get to the playoffs as they're coming in. And this was an important win for that franchise because they went for two. They went for yeah. two to win it, they rolled the and dice. that could have torpedoed their season mm-hmm. if they didn't get that two-point conversion. Yeah, I was looking at that game, paying a lot of attention to it because I knew that they were the next team up for the mm-hmm. Raiders, and if they lose that game, the Raiders win in Seattle, which they did. All of a sudden, you're looking at a game that's playing for second place, right? I mean, that would have been the reality of what this game would have been. The Chargers, they find ways to win games. I got to give them credit for that. It's not pretty. You know, it's not really the way that it's supposed to get done. But again, they're finding ways to get it done and you'll take a W. So uh, whatever they're doing, they're doing. But I mean, this is a very winnable game for the for the Raiders. And yeah, that two point conversion that they got to win it against Arizona is just so typical Chargers to be able to pull that off. For the Chargers, their game plan is simple. They want to get everybody else healthy at the end of the year and be in the playoffs. Not, not, they're not talking Super Bowl. They just want to get in, yeah. and they could be one of the more dangerous teams. And I think the Raiders have an opportunity to do something really special here and hurt them, hurt them in their yeah. ultimate goal on top of the Raiders getting a win. And they're still catchable. They're yeah, still catchable. They the Raiders Absolutely. could still catch them and end up in second place when it's all said and done. No doubt about it, and that's what the Raiders should look at. Now we go to Kansas City mm. and what happened with the Rams. Look, the Rams are in trouble, and that's another big topic for us because yeah. the Raiders play them a week from Thursday, which is going to be a really important game here. Look, they're injured. They yeah. got players that aren't going to be activated on the back end of the season. No reason to bring them back here. And Kansas City, quite frankly, is just rolling. Yeah, Kansas City is doing what Kansas City does. And until they're knocked off the top of the AFC West, they're going to continue to do that. And, you know, the Rams, when you look at it, remember Aaron Donald had the whole retirement papers in the offseason. Yeah. He's playing like he wanted to be retired. He's not playing like the Aaron Donald that's hungry to go out and win a ring. And, you know, who knows what they're going to look like against the Raiders a week from Thursday. But, man, they just look like they're a, they're an injured dog out there. And, and, and well, can Kansas City game the business. Yeah, I find entertaining about the Rams is pundits on the radio were saying, well, forget about the draft. Go all in. Yeah, yeah. Go get players. And now right. they're saying, uh-oh. You don't have any depth. You don't have any players. draft picks. Yeah. You've been yep. blowing up the draft. Yep. But Kansas City keeps rolling, and Mahomes yep. does an amazing job. Mahomes 
is having another MVP-type year, and they're ahead of Buffalo. And I thought it was going to come down to probably those two teams at the end, and they're fighting for home field. And then when we get to Denver, uh, Denver finally is in disarray here. I don't think the coach – there's a chance the coach doesn't make it mm-hmm. to the end because unlike the Raiders who have a plan, and they told you about the plan, right. there is no plan in no. Denver with this quarterback – and this head coach, we know that now, which is unfortunate. Nathaniel Hackett came there with a vision of what he wanted to do. It's not working with Russ. I'm no. surprised by that. Right, and you know the thing is, Denver's gonna have to make a decision, and they've put a quarter of a billion dollars into Russell Wilson. <laughs> so it's the quarterback or the head coach, and the head coach is gonna lose in this situation no matter what because all that money is invested in Russ. And you know, obviously, when Pete Carroll and company let Russ get out of Seattle, they knew what they were doing, right? I thought that that was crazy. You can't let that guy go, and now you're kind of seeing what's going on. You're seeing that the teammates around him don't look 100% happy. There's just, like you said, a lot of disarray. And that's the one thing, no matter how much the Raiders have struggled this season, you haven't seen that locker room. You haven't seen guys come to the sidelines barking at Derek Carr or super angry at Derek Carr. They're sticking together. They're fighting. They're all together, and they're finding ways to win games. And that's the exact opposite that's going on in Denver. Well, when you look at what the Raiders have done to Denver in the last six, seven games, it's why Denver's in disarray. The yeah. Raiders have had a lot to do yeah. with it because I think the Raiders are in their head and there's new ownership there. So looking at the Raiders' schedule coming up and what's in front of them here, first off, the standings, as you said, this is an opportunity to get a game closer to the Chargers. Mm-hmm. It's about the Chargers now. Absolutely. Get, go catch the yep. Chargers yep. and take them out at home here. And if the Raiders can do that to get to 5-7 and seven, and then a real short week yeah. to have the opportunity to get to 6-7, and seven, That's going to change a lot of people around the league talking about this team's toughness and where they're at. And the schedule coming up here, Q, I kind of like it. I really do. I I knew this schedule was front-loaded and back-loaded. And this part of the season, when the schedule came out, I didn't expect the Rams to be 3-8. and No one did. No way. But the Chargers, I I expected the Chargers to be better than 6-5. and So this was the tough part of the schedule. Mm -hmm. We saw what the Raiders did to the Patriots in practice in the preseason. I like their chances at home in that game. And then the Steelers that won an interesting game, considering they almost blew it on Monday Night Football. I like this portion of the schedule for the Raiders to win multiple games. I do, too. And I think Lincoln Kennedy said it perfectly when we talked to him in the last segment that there's not a team on the schedule they can't beat. They just have to go out there and continue to execute and play at the high level that they know that they can. They can't have those self-inflicted wounds, the penalties that they have, you know, just the silly stuff. They can't do that if they're going to win at a high level and continue to go on a win streak. This is the first win streak that we talked about all season long, right? Winning two in a row. They have an opportunity to win three in a row as they uh, host the Chargers on Sunday. So, I mean, they can run with anyone in the league. They just have to go out there and do it. You know, this organization is all about team, more so than individual players, but there's a lot of individuals that are in the Hall of fame and have had great careers. And I think we should wrap it up by talking about Josh Jacobs again. Yeah. It is a pleasure to host this podcast and to talk about one of the great performances in Raider history because it is. Yeah. And it's one of the great performances in NFL history. But to have the opportunity to look back at the tape, to see the highlights that the team put together here and get a look at especially what they're doing, Raiders social media and behind the scenes to get the access in the locker room right. so everybody can see how this team is together in the locker room and how much passion they have for each other as a team. That's real important. No, it is. And I can appreciate Josh Jacobs in a major way. I always have appreciated him, of course, when he has a performance like he did on Sunday. Everyone does. But, man, I'll, I'll go back to April 24, 2019. That was the day before the draft, before the Raiders made him a Raider. I got to talk to him at Nissan Stadium right there in Nashville. And I asked him about being a Raider, and he was interested then. And he said that what he wanted to do and how uh, he was also going to represent on the field but off the field for all the people back in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's just been a hungry guy since the minute that he got drafted. And he still remains to be that hungry guy four years 
years later. So I can really appreciate that because that doesn't always happen in the NFL. For Q Myers and Lincoln Kennedy, I'm JT. Hope to see you at Allegiant Stadium if you're coming out for a game as the Raiders are coming home again. We're excited. Thanks for watching and listening to Raiders Roundtable.